0: Disney Episode 4 Maleficent Mistress of Evil To another episode of Disneyish, a podcast for Disney fans. I am your host Christopher, and we are finally closing the book on Sleeping Beauty for the time being. Uh, we're doing the Maleficent sequel, Mistress of Evil, and uh, when I say we this week, I mean it literally because I actually have a very special guest today. Uh, my uh, my good friend Rick uh, was gracious enough to come on and help tackle this movie with me. So, uh, how are you doing, Rick?
1: I'm doing pretty good. And, and I don't think I've ever been referred to as a special guest. So thank you, Christopher.
0: So you've never been on a podcast before?
1: No, I have not. First time.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's really cool, though. I mean, that's such an honor for me to, uh, you know, <laughs> this is your first time being on a podcast is is with me. So <laughs> that's such an honor. Amazing uh, voyage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what I would like to start with is uh, what your connection to this movie is and maybe a little bit of background information about yourself. I mean, I obviously know you pretty well, but listeners probably don't. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, anything you'd like to to share about yourself, go, go for it. Sure.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Rick and I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I work for Ohio State in the university's IT and communications area. Um, I actually grew up more on Charlie Brown and Snoopy, so I was very late uh, into the Disney party, but I'm I'm glad to be here, better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was actually introduced to in Maleficent um, through the Angelina Jolie movies first. I never saw Sleeping Beauty until after I saw the Angelina Jolie movies. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. And a good friend of mine had free tickets to the 2014 premiere, and she asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, sure, and uh, I didn't know what to expect. I had very little knowledge of Sleeping Beauty and I was just really, really moved by Angelina's performance. Um, I think like you commented on in the first, um, movie podcast that you did, um, the, the moment where she woke up and had realized her wings were taken, uh, during an assault, it, it really moved me. I mean, I could, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It actually made me cry. Um, it, it was amazing. And then I, I just couldn't wait for the sequel. I, I was hooked. And, um, the, the 2019 uh, sequel drew me in even more, and uh, it led me to you because uh, I went online and there was a Facebook Maleficent group and and that's where I found some of your posts. I thought they were really interesting and insightful. I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna connect with this person. This seems like someone I want to know. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that Maleficent helped our paths cross, and helped me appreciate Sleeping Beauty. And actually, you helped me appreciate the first Sleeping Beauty movie because you made me think of it differently. I didn't like how it didn't really match the Angelina Jolie movies, even though that's that's silly because it was the precursor. It's, yeah. But, it should
0: be the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: But I appreciated how I think you told me it was kind of like propaganda from the Royals. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's kind of my intro.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel the exact same way. I'm so glad that we connected and, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a Facebook group that I started. I want to say it was like very shortly after the Angelina Jolie movie came out the first one. So I think I started the group in like late 2014, maybe early 2015. I don't know, but it's been there for a while and I can link it in the show notes to anyone who wants to join. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you first reached out to me and messaged me, I did not expect it to become the beautiful friendship that it has become. And, uh, yeah i uh i I mean like when it comes to having somebody on to talk about maleficent with me, I mean you would always be the first person I would think of, so oh, thank you, yeah of course uh but uh yeah maleficent mistress of evil, uh you know, I remember when it was announced that there was going to be a sequel, and I was a bit apprehensive to be honest because. I was thinking, well, what is it even going to be about? This is completely unnecessary. Like, the first movie did everything it needed to do. It revised the Sleeping Beauty story. It had a perfect ending. You know, I was like, I don't even know what this is going to be about. So I was a little bit apprehensive, uh, especially when they revealed the subtitle. When they revealed, because at first it was just being uh, marketed as Maleficent 2. It didn't have a subtitle at first. And then when it did, And it was revealed to be Mistress of Evil. I was like, what is this even going to be about? I hope that they're not like, you know, regressing her and making her evil. And, you know, so I was a little bit apprehensive when I saw the title. But, you know, I have come to appreciate the title a lot more after seeing the movie several times because that has given me the opportunity to reflect on it. And I think that it's kind of meant to be an ironic title because, first of all, you know, it's meant to be ironic in the sense that some people in the kingdom think that she is still evil because of the lie that Ingrith has spread. And so they see her as the mistress of all evil, even if it's not quite the truth. Uh, but also, you know, you can kind of see it as uh, referring to Ingrid, possibly, you know, that Ingrid is the mistress of evil. So uh, yeah, oh. yeah. It's kind of a neat way of looking at it. So uh yeah, so I I I love, I mean we'll talk more about this later, but I really do love this movie as far as like sequels go. I think it's really great because sometimes sequels just are very disappointing and they don't really match up to the first movie. And I do still think and again, we'll talk about this more later, but you know, I do still think that the first movie is better, but as far as sequels go, this is really great. It's a great movie, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but Like I said, we'll touch more upon that later. We'll discuss our thoughts on, you know, whether or not we liked it. I think we're pretty much both on the same page as far as whether or not we liked it. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, before we jump into more of the movie, though, uh, we do have some exciting Disney news for you. All right, so first up, uh, by the time you're hearing this episode, uh, most likely two episodes will be out, but uh, The Mandalorian Season 3 has premiered uh, on Disney+, Plus, and uh, that's pretty exciting because, um, you know, it's it's a big franchise right now. I mean, Star Wars obviously is a big franchise anyway, but I feel like The Mandalorian especially is where Disney is really, really, uh, you know, grabbing its cash right now, especially with all the Grogu promotion and everything. Uh, so, yeah, that's some exciting news. I haven't started it yet because I've been just incredibly busy um, the last few days, so I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Anyway, yeah, uh, so The Mandalorian Season 3 has premiered. Uh, secondly, this is kind of just like personal, but, uh, you know, it's a personal announcement, but I actually got to see Snow White on a big screen for the first time in my life. Uh, the local theater here where I live, it's an independently owned theater, uh, screened it and it was just such a great experience to see that on a big screen because I had never been able Uh to before yeah uh you know that theater occasionally shows old Disney movies like last year they showed Alice in Wonderland I went to that uh and then um they just showed Snow White and before they started the movie they gave this little speech and they mentioned how later this year they might be doing Fantasia and Pinocchio so uh yeah, it's just it's really cool to be able to see like those really old classic movies that, you know, obviously you're not probably going to get the chance to see on a big screen because of how old they are. And, you know, to get that chance is really exciting, really cool. So it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, And then Peter Pan and Wendy is coming to Disney Plus on April 28th. There is a uh, an article that I'll link to in the show notes from Walt Disney Company. Uh, about this trailer being debuted. And uh, again, that's coming to Disney Plus on April 28th. So really excited about that because I've always really loved uh, Peter Pan, even though uh, that original movie uh, is highly problematic, but (laughs) it's a fun movie. Uh, Yeah, and then this last bit of news that I have to share, uh, it really could not have come at a better time. And this comes from Screen Rant, and the title of the article is Disney is telling Maleficent's unseen story, an original animated canon. So Dynamite Comics is bringing Disney fans a new story involving Sleeping Beauty's iconic villainess, Maleficent, Queen of the Forbidden Mountain. So, uh, you know, it's worth noting that this will not be related to the Angelina Jolie movies. This is about the animated Maleficent. And, uh, you know... It's, there is actually a book that I've talked about on the podcast before called uh, Mistress of All Evil by Serena Valentino. And that kind of does give Maleficent's backstory. It gives us a little bit of information about how she got to be how she was and why she cursed Aurora. And it's a totally different reason than it is in the Angelina Jolie movie. And, uh, you know, and this is probably going to give yet another reason. This is probably going to be yet another backstory. So it's kind of just like a, uh. Choose your backstory, sort of deal. You know, which one do you wanna <laughs> do? You wanna uh, believe is what really happened? But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm obviously like super super stoked about this. Uh, issue one is apparently dropping on uh, May third. All right, so uh, moving into some general information about Maleficent Mistress of Evil, it was released on October twenty eighth, twenty nineteen. Although uh, we in a little bit will have an interesting fact about that. Uh, and it was written by Linda Wolverton, returning from having written the first script, Noah Harpster, and Micah Fitzerman-Blue, directed by Joachim Ronning. Uh, he's also having known for, you know, as far as like Disney is concerned, he directed uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So, yeah. Uh, and then we have our, uh, our cast here. Uh, several people here are obviously returning from the first movie, but we also have, you know, quite a few new characters. We have Angelina Jolie, of course, reprising her role as Maleficent. Elle Fanning is back as Aurora. Michelle Pfeiffer is playing Queen Ingrid, a new character. Harris Dickinson playing Prince Philip, but, uh, you know, Philip here is obviously not a new character. He is in the first movie, but he's been recasted. Uh, we had uh, Brenton Twaits playing him in the first movie, and here we have Harris Dickinson. We'll talk about why that is in a little bit. We have Sam Riley returning as Diaval. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor playing Connell. Uh, Ed Screen as Bora. And then we have the three, quote, good fairies. Uh, I call them that because that's what they're called in Sleeping Beauty. Um, returning uh, Imelda Staunton as Notgrass. Juno Temple as Thistlewit leslie manville as flittle and then we have uh more new characters robert Lindsay as king john although he is mentioned in the first movie but we don't see him uh warwick davis as lickspittle and jen murray as gerda and there are of course several more like you know udo and and you know some small minor characters but that's really just the main primary cast and uh music this time around is by jeff Zanelli. uh And it does, although, have a lot of snippets of the score from the first movie, which was by uh, James Newton Howard. And for some reason, the entirety of this soundtrack is credited to Jeff Zanelli, even though it does borrow a lot of melodies from the first movie. So uh,
1: they were on friendly terms. So honestly, I could see Disney saying, hey, JNH, could you not take credit so we can afford this movie? You know what I mean? Because to get someone mentioned and give credit is, is a cost. And and there are some people that are benevolent like that, where they want the movie to get made. So they'll say, okay, sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Because, uh, you know, they they do have to credit people, you know. And when you have to credit somebody, you have to pay them royalties. And so, right, yeah.
1: And then um, a quick synopsis of, of this film. Uh, after Aurora now queen of the Moors, becomes engaged to Prince Philip, her godmother Maleficent does not approve and finds herself at odds with Philip's mother, Queen Ingrid, who has her own sinister plans for the kingdom. As tensions rise, Maleficent must confront her past and decide where her loyalties lie, while Aurora must try to find a way to bring peace to the land.
0: And then we have some interesting trivia here for you. Uh, so, this was actually released 60 years after sleeping beauty. So, uh, you know, it kind of worked out perfectly that way that it was kind of released. I mean, not exactly on the 60th anniversary, but same year, uh, the, the 60th anniversary year. Um, but it's funny though, because this was actually originally set for a May 29th, 2020 release. Uh, so it wouldn't have been released on, you know, the 60th anniversary if they had done that. But, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Philip was recast. Um, it was Brenton Twaites playing him in the first movie. Here we have Harris Dickinson. And this was because uh, Brenton was actually unable to reprise the role. He had scheduling conflicts. I believe that he was occupied with the uh, the HBO Max DC show Titans at the time. And so they couldn't get him to free up his time for this movie. And so they were like, well we need Philip in this movie. So we're going to have to recast him. So it went to Harris Dickinson. And I am kind of curious. Um, do you have a preference as to which Philip that you prefer?
1: Not really. <laughs> and to be honest, if if they hadn't mentioned there was a casting change, I might not have noticed between all the time that had passed.
0: Yeah. And the thing is like, I remember watching this movie with somebody a few years ago and I was like, Oh, did you know, by the way, that that's not the same actor that played him in the first one? And they were like, it's not. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> and they're like, oh, interesting. So, you know, I think that more than anything else, that just really goes to show how uh the emphasis really in these two movies is not on him, you know, and he's not like I mean, he is a major character, but at the same time he's not, you know, he's a bigger character in this one than he is in the first one, for sure. Uh
1: Maybe we can flip it around and say, look how important casting directors are. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they pick they pick the right people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, he just, especially in this movie, I feel, you know, he just really doesn't have much of a personality. He's kind of, yeah. uh, you know, just stoic and not very expressive. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know that I like that because, uh, you know, I talked in my uh, Sleeping Beauty episode about how, you know, I really love how especially since it was so unusual for movies of the time because you look at like Snow White and Cinderella and the princes have like no personality at all. They're really just plot devices, you know, like they're just there to serve as a goal, as an objective for the princess. They're not really characters, you know, but in Sleeping Beauty, Philip really does have a vibrant personality and he's snarky and sarcastic and, you know, I love the scene where he, uh, he tries to tell Hubert that, you know, I've met someone that I love and she's who I'm going to marry. I'm not going to marry the princess. And, uh, you know, he says, uh, uh, you know, father, it's the 14th century, you know, (laughs) I love that line. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then like in that same scene, uh, you know, his father's like, I demand that you come to your senses. And Philip interrupts him and is like, and marry the girl I love. And Hubert is like, (laughs) exactly, you know, because he thinks he's talking about the princess, but he's actually talking about Aurora, who ironically is the princess, but Philip doesn't know that. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, just uh, Philip in the animated movie, I felt was like, you know, he was snarky and, and, uh, clever and, and just had a very memorable personality. And then they kind of took that away from him in these movies, especially this one. Uh, but that's just the version of the character that they wanted to, uh, that they want, you know, that's, that's the Philip that they wanted to incorporate. So, you know, and it's not really, I don't really mind because this isn't Philip's story. It's Maleficent's story. It's Aurora's story. You know, it's not, Philip isn't really the center here, so I don't really mind, but
1: well, with such strong female actresses, I mean, the poor male actors don't really have a hope, do they? <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, you know, we do have, we'll talk about this later on. We do have, uh, you know, like Connell, who I really like. He's really yes. a great character. Um, I like Philip's father, John, you know, he's a great character. But for the most part, though, yeah, this is definitely very much a uh, female driven movie. But yeah, so this is actually the fourth movie to be specially formatted, the fourth Disney movie, I should specify, to be specially formatted for IMAX. So yeah, that's kind of a big deal that this was only the fourth movie to be specially formatted for IMAX um, from Disney. But uh, yeah, so the movie had a production budget of $185 million and saw a box office success of nearly $492 million, Um, but however... Like the first movie, it was met with mixed reviews from critics. So, uh, you know, there were critics who, like they did the first movie, praised Angelina Jolie's performance, but also criticized negatively the plot. Uh, and, you know, but that was a major success, though. That's a huge profit. And so, uh, you know, you might already be aware that Disney has greenlit a third film. Um, Very little about it is known at this time, though. But... According to IMDb, the working title is Maleficent Mother of All Fairies. So even if that is true, though, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to end up being the final title, because it's the working title, which means that it could change. Uh, But once again, as usual, uh, a lot of these uh, facts come from IMDb. So, uh, you know, I will be sure that the link to this is in the show notes, because this is just a handful of them. Like, there are tons and tons and tons of... Uh, you know, fun trivia about the movie on IMDb. So uh, the very, very beginning of the movie, the opening scene, is uh, a group of humans that are going into the moors, they're trespassing into the moors, and they're abducting fairies. And I love how the movie seems to want us to think that the fairy who attacks them is Maleficent, because at this point, we don't know that there are other dark fairies, right? We think Maleficent is the only one. And so seeing the horns and the long hair, you know, we're like, oh, this is Maleficent, right? Because it doesn't show you Bora's face at first. You just see, like I said, the horns and the long hair. So I kind of like how they set that up and then you don't find out until later. Although it does, in that same scene, show you a little bit of Bora's face. You see kind of like the upper half of his face. So once you see that, I feel like that's kind of a giveaway that this is not Maleficent. But I feel like at first, that's what they wanted you to think. I mean, obviously, Bora, he's such an interesting character because it's like, are we meant to see him as a villain? Or, you know what I mean? I think he's much more sympathetic than Ingrid is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you can kind of understand where he's coming from. You understand why he distrusts humans. You understand why he wants to wipe them out. And, uh, you know, I think that he has a much more sympathetic story than ingrith does and so he's such an interesting character because it's like you know are we supposed to see him as a villain are we supposed to see him as a redeemed villain because he comes around at the end yeah he's just a really complex character and i remember uh ed screen even saying something to the effect of you know this is one of the most interesting characters i've ever played and i hope that i get to play him again in maleficent 3 so i hope so too so the narrator i assume it's Aurora again. I don't know for sure because at the end of the first movie, we find out that the narrator was Aurora, right? Because she says, like, you know, I should know because I was the one they called Sleeping Beauty. And so we get that reveal that the narrator was Aurora. I'm assuming it is here too, but we don't know for sure because I don't know for sure if that's the same, like, voice actress that's doing the voiceover. But um, anyway, she says, once upon a time, or perhaps twice upon a time, for you, remember this story. And do you think that's in reference to the first Maleficent or to Sleeping Beauty? Or could it be in reference to both? You know, by saying that like twice upon a time and then saying, for you, remember this story, right? Is that saying that like you've heard this story twice, right? You've heard the Sleeping Beauty version. You've heard the Maleficent version, right? So I'm not sure if it's in reference. What were your thoughts on that? Do you think that's referring to both of them?
1: I think they could just be being clever so that it could be um, if you saw the first two movies or if maybe this was your first one.
0: Yeah. Th- that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
1: Cause enough time has gone by, you know, someone may never have seen. Oh,
0: movies. absolutely. I'm sure there were people who went to see this that had not seen the first one. Uh,
1: Although I can't imagine. <laughs> it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Right. Well, <laughs> I feel
0: like sometimes people get dragged to movies that they don't necessarily yeah. want to go to, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, but I do definitely feel like you need to watch the first movie before you watch this one. Um, right. There's just too much. I mean, can you follow this without having seen the first one? Yeah, probably. But there's so much that you're not going to appreciate. Like, for example, Maleficent calling Aurora Beastie. You know, that's not going to yeah. mean anything to you if you haven't seen the first one. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, there was a powerful fae named Maleficent for some reason and of course we'll find out eventually what that reason is <laughs> uh the mistress of evil and protector of the moors was still hated after all this time true she had cursed the princess aurora but that was before she found light in the heart of a human child and raised the girl as her own and that's part of the reason why i'm not sure if this is still supposed to be maleficent or i'm sorry aurora narrating because if it is, she's talking about herself in third person. So I'm not sure. I do that. All the, I do that. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Christopher does occasionally as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, after all, it was Maleficent's love, which broke that very same curse, but that detail was somehow mysteriously forgotten. All right. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is really great. Not only because it, it sets the stage for this movie, uh, you know, it, kind of uh discusses what the primary conflict of this movie is going to be which is kind of like what the kingdom thinks of Maleficent and what they you know how they still see her as a villain but also uh, this kind of catches us up a little bit you know it's kind of like a, a exposition of what happens in the first movie so uh, yeah it's kind of like a recap while also being an intro to this movie so it works well I think.
1: I really I really liked the stuff you just mentioned because it, it brings together that whole theme of light and dark, which I really like about Mistress of Evil. Um, I love how they say, uh, or the narrator says, Maleficent found light in the heart of a human child. And then almost immediately you see Maleficent in a very light colored olive almost dress. Yeah. Um, kind of changes up the concept of we're always used to her in black or purple. And so she's in this very light brightly lit uh outfit which i thought was kind of cool
0: yeah absolutely it's a very brightly colored outfit which is very different than most of what we see her in in the first movie so, right yeah
1: she's almost like a vampire in, in the in sleeping beauty and in the first movie
0: yeah absolutely you know what i mean yep
1: and then um I don't know if you'd call it irony, but you know Michelle Pfeiffer always seems to be in white or cream <laughs> with her pearl her pearl necklaces for days. Um, but yet she's this dark this dark-hearted person, you know, so she looks like she's a light person, but she's really evil and, and dark-hearted. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and And did you notice the way her pearls? they almost look like chainmail. Like when you first see her, it's very glamorous and then you're like it's almost like armor. I feel like they must have done that purposefully. And then uh, later on, I, I know I ramble about this concept, but I just I like the contrasting light and dark um, things playing off each other. Um, when she's mimicking Male- Maleficent and, and talking about how terrible she is, and she puts her arms in the in the air almost to mimic her horns, and English, Ingrid's shadow actually looks like Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty on the on the castle wall. I thought that was really cool.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's. You know, I I definitely enjoy the, and we'll talk more about these as they come up, but I really enjoy the little, you know, nods to not only Sleeping Beauty and the first Maleficent movie, but also just some Disney movies in general. Like I remember reading somewhere that uh, Ingrid was purposefully dressed in like white and cream because they wanted her to contrast Maleficent. You know, Maleficent's usually wearing black. We have Ingrid who's usually wearing white, and yeah it's an interesting uh kind of uh flipping our expectations because maleficent deep down you know obviously she still as you would i mean can you imagine yeah. enduring the trauma that she did oh you know I can't. you're never going to get over that completely you know obviously she's still dealing with some ptsd She's still <laughs> you know she understandably doesn't completely trust humans uh and so you know, but deep down she has a heart of gold, you know, and she mm-hmm. really, deeply, deeply loves Aurora. And I think that you know she is after the arc that we saw in the first movie, you know, she is, uh, you know, a, a good person now. And Ingrid, on the other hand, is filled with hate and uh, wrath and discrimination and prejudice. And, yeah, I mean, you would think that the villain would be dressed in black, the hero would be in white and you know they they reversed that it kind of reminds me a little bit of how like with batman you know batman is typically all dressed in black and then the joker's all colorful but the joker's the evil one you know (laughs) so but uh we see aurora acting as queen of the moors and i mentioned in the maleficent episode in the last episode the first maleficent movie that you know she's really more of a guardian slash protector than she is a ruler and uh, she is kind of sort of giving orders here, I guess, but they're also totally reasonable because she's just trying to figure out where the missing fairies have gone, you know, and that's what a leader should do is look out for their people, you know, and that's exactly what she's doing. So, and she's also preaching compassion and kindness, you know, because some of the more creatures are, you know, basically more or less saying that, you know, well, we can't trust humans we're just going to kill them you know and uh aurora's like don't forget i'm a human you know and then she picks up that bunny rabbit and is like (laughs) yeah so cute and she's like uh you know we really need to be focusing on kindness and and understanding and something like that so you know she's definitely a very different ruler than her father was (laughs) uh (laughs) which is a definitely a plus that's definitely a good thing (laughs) but uh you know, speaking of that scene though, I kind of wish we had subtitles for Leaf, the big uh tree person. <laughs> because I want to know what he said. He said something that made Maleficent scold him. Or I keep saying that. Why do I keep saying that? Aurora. Uh he he said something that made Aurora scold him. Like she says something like, you know, uh, don't raise your leaves at me, or something like that. I can't <laughs> remember the exact uh the exact line, but uh I want to know what he said. (laughs) I think he said, my name is Groot. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, It is funny, though, how she understands the Morfolk. It makes me wonder if it's because she's just spent so much time with them over the last five years that she's learned their languages. Uh, She even seems to understand Diaval. Like, Diaval squawks at her and, you know, she says something like, you know, Diaval, you're supposed to be on my side you know, indicating that she understood what he said. So she understands him as well. And, uh, but it's been five years. We've learned that it's been five years since the events of the first movie because Philip says something like, you know, five years ago, I thought I lost you. And Aurora and Philip still aren't married. And I actually really like that because Disney has a longstanding tradition of two people meeting, uh, instantly falling in love, and then getting married the next day. which you know that's not how things actually work if if things actually did work that way then life would be a lot easier but that's not how life works so (laughs) the fact that it's been five years and they're still not married is very realistic but anyway philip's proposal is very very sweet you know i love how he says like you know i thought i lost you five years ago and uh you know i've loved you ever since and it's just a very very sweet proposal uh So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to call attention to every single moment that it happens just because there are way too many of them, but, um, you know, I, I did kind of like make a few notes as I was rewatching this movie of times that I noticed that music from the first movie was being recycled. And, uh, this is one of those moments because when she says yes, uh, when Philip asks her to marry him and she says yes, um, there is music here recycled from the first movie. Um, but I I do really like this scene though because uh, you know, Philip is like, of course we have to tell our parents and Aurora, she like you know, the way that she looks at him is just uh Yeah, that's probably not gonna go over very well. You know, like you can tell that's what she's thinking. And she says, Do we? <laughs> and I love this because Diaval is sitting up in a tree, I think, watching this and you know, he's like, I got you, girl. I'll handle it. Don't worry. <laughs> because he then flies away and tells Maleficent. So <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Great Yeah. Scene. Yeah. Uh, and I do, I honestly really, really love that Maleficent can be good. Like she can be a hero and also be kind of grouchy and unpleasant. Like I really, really like that dichotomy because it reminds me a lot of Regina from Once Upon a Time and, uh, Regina was the evil queen from Snow White and spoiler alert, she gets a very, very beautiful, very well-earned redemption arc. And even after she changed though, and became a hero and started fighting alongside like Emma and Snow White and people like that, she still was snarky. You know, she still occasionally could be a little bit unpleasant. And I kind of liked that they kept that because it was almost like, well, she wouldn't be Regina if she didn't have that snark, you know, like she has to have that little bit of bite and, uh, they did something similar with Maleficent here, you know, like she, uh, she, (laughs) I love, this is so funny. Like, okay, there is so much really witty dialogue in this movie. And I do think honestly that that might be one area. Like, I think I've mentioned already that overall, I really like the first movie better But I think that one thing that this movie does have over the first one is the witty dialogue. There's so much of it. And, uh, you know, here, for example, I love how Diaval's trying to tell Maleficent that Philip has proposed to Aurora. And he's like, you know, Prince Philip has. And she's like, disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, no, Philip has. And Maleficent's like, yellow fever. No, wait, leprosy. (laughs) Oh man, I just love this so much. Uh you know, because I think a big part of the reason why I love it so much is she's most likely being uh there's a word I'm looking for and you know, as as someone who majored in English in college, I should not have so much trouble with words as I often do, but <laughs> uh there's a word I'm looking for that means that like you're uh saying like biting things, but it's not fully serious, you know, you're you're kidding around, you're you're uh, you know, you're you're poking fun like that's kind of what she's doing here. Like I don't think she actually wants Philip to come down with yellow fever or leprosy or, you know, to die a terrible death from a terrible illness or anything like that. This is just kind of her way of saying like, yeah, I I don't really approve of him, you know. I don't really want Aurora to be with him, you know, and this is kind of just her way of saying that. Um, but you know, and then we get this line, which for some reason, I mean, I shouldn't say for some reason, because I, I I just I guess the reason I say for some reason is that I feel like there's a lot of really, really great witty dialogue in this movie. And this one I feel like fans really, really latched onto. Like they just really, really love this line. There are gifts for it and everything. Uh, but <laughs> you know, uh, he does finally tell her, and she says, don't ruin my morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like a hocus like a hocus pocus thing.
0: Oh look, another glorious morning makes me sick. Makes me sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh but then as she flies away, we get more music from the first movie, like I said, I I made note a few times of when I heard it. Uh and then we get the well, well line. Uh you know, which will come back again later in the movie, but um You know, that's obviously echoing the first movie, because when she first showed up at the christening, uh, she said, well, well. Uh, So Aurora, (laughs) she says, you know, (laughs) Philip asked me to marry him. And Maleficent says, (laughs) poor thing, he'll recover. (laughs) And this is what I'm talking about with her being like biting in a uh, like a half humorous way, because, you know, that she knows Aurora didn't say no. Like, you know, right. she knows Aurora said yes. And she's pretending that she said no. You know, I just I, I love it. <laughs> I love this. Uh he doesn't
1: love sarcasm and love rap. Right, right?
0: Right. Uh but Maleficent does say, you know, like I don't approve of this. And Aurora says, uh, what's next? You'll turn him into a goat? And I love how ding, ding. but yeah, the look on Maleficent's face, she's like considering it. You know she seems to be thinking you know that's not a half bad idea i haven't <laughs> thought of that <laughs> and this is of course foreshadowing the ending right because right. something happens at the end that echoes this line uh and there are a couple of examples of that in this movie that we'll touch upon of times where you get like this throwaway line that at the time you don't think means anything but then it does you know it ends up coming into the story so i really love that uh And I mentioned in the Maleficent episode, the first Maleficent movie, I mentioned how she makes a comment that kind of hints that she is discriminatory against humans, which, you know, I think is kind of understandable. Um, She doesn't quite trust humans and she makes a, a, a comment about, you know, Aurora herself being human. And this is where that happens. You know, Aurora says, I'm a human because she asks, like, why don't you like Philip? And Maleficent says, well, for starters, he's a human. Yeah, and Aurora's like, I'm a human, and Maleficent says, and I have never held that against you. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's not the point, Maleficent. That's not. <laughs> that's not the point. That's not what Aurora is trying to say. <laughs> she's trying to tell you that there are good humans, you know. <laughs> but she's, she will learn that lesson eventually. But uh, yeah. Uh, We then get the reveal of what Ingrid is up to. And uh, the track that's playing here is Alstead. And this one is actually wholly original. This is not borrowed from the first movie at all. Uh, There are several pieces of music in this movie that are really, really great and are completely, totally original. So, you know, I do want to make that clear to people that when I say that, you know, I don't quite understand why James Newton Howard wasn't credited for the parts that were borrowed from the first movie, that's not saying that, Jeff Sinelli is not a competent uh, you know, score writer because he totally is. Like the music in this movie that's original is really, really good. And this is an example. Uh, there's uh kind of like this uh thumping, marching, uh epic, like medieval fantasy music that's playing here in this scene as we find out that Ingrid has this hidden underground uh area where she's getting ready for a war against the more Uh, and yeah, like I said, the track here is on the soundtrack and it's called Allstead. And it reminds me a lot of the Dragonborn theme from Skyrim, which is, uh, an Elder Scrolls game. I know you don't really, uh, you're not much of a gamer, Rick, but, uh,
1: no, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: But it reminds me a lot of that. Like if you play like that Allstead track from Maleficent Mistress of Evil and then compare that to Dragonborn from Skyrim, it's definitely a very similar, uh, You know, I don't, I don't mean that like the melody is the same or anything, but it's just like the same style. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And can we put
1: a plug in if if the powers that be are listening to your podcast that um, Zanelvi's score needs to be put out on CD or vinyl, please? I mean, I know we're in the era of streaming, but there's just something about having the CD or the vinyl for music like this it just it it's needed so bad
0: oh absolutely i 100 percent agree you know the first maleficent movie the the score was released on cd and then for some reason with this one it wasn't and yeah. uh but yeah i totally agree i i do wish that it had gotten um an official physical release maybe someday it will
1: i could see him doing it before the third movie yeah um, yeah kind of to hype things up
0: and uh, another really funny scene is when uh, Maleficent is practicing greetings and pleasantries in the reflection of the water. <laughs> uh, it's really, really funny. I mean, I just, I love Angelina Jolie in this role. You know, you mentioned how that was what drew you to the yeah. character and to the movie. And yeah, totally, completely agree. Uh, but it does definitely really break my heart when Aurora asks her to cover her horns with the scarf, Uh but, you know, at least she will express regret about that later in the movie. But still, like here, it's very sad because you can see the look on Maleficent's face, too. That, you know, like, oh, you want me to cover my horns? Are you, like, ashamed of me? Do you not want them to see that I have horns? And, you know, just there's a little bit of heartbreak on her face when Aurora asks her that. But, uh, yeah, like I said, at least she does regret it later. Uh, you know what that reminds me of? What's that? What's that?
1: It reminds me of uh Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when uh, the dad makes Rudolph cover up his nose with the—is it mud?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see <laughs> Rudolph's that.
1: Rudolph's all sad. Yeah, yep. Way to bring down the room. <laughs>
0: <Sorry>. <laughs> well, no, because I mean, I think that is one of the themes of the movie too—is accepting people for their differences, yeah. you know. And yeah, but I love how Maleficent. Why do I keep doing that? Aurora is wearing a pink dress. Uh, but the last scene that she was in or the last dress that we saw her in was a blue dress. And this is very likely a callback to Sleeping Beauty because that's one of the, we get another callback to it later in the movie. Um, but you know, one of the, uh, very minor conflicts that can barely even be called a conflict, but, uh, you know, one of the like comedic bits, I guess that you get in Sleeping Beauty is, uh flora and merriweather arguing about whether snow white snow white uh i must have snow white in my <laughs> mind because i just saw it yeah uh, they're arguing over aurora's dress color you know and uh flora wants it to be pink and merriweather wants it to be blue and here like i said we first see aurora wearing a blue dress and now in this scene she's wearing a pink dress so i think that's meant to be a callback to that uh and then another really great funny scene from maleficent and really great acting from angie is uh you know aurora and uh maleficent have decided to go to the castle to meet philip's parents and aurora's like i'm so excited and maleficent says "Mm, it's more than i can bear and you can tell she's being sarcastic (laughs) 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 it's just it's really great uh But one thing that I noticed on this rewatch, there's irony in the fact that this whole conflict is caused ultimately because she was invited to something, you know, like Maleficent's whole thing is that she's angry, you know, I mean like animated Canon, like Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Her whole thing is that she's angry because she wasn't invited to a christening. In this movie, she is invited to something and that's what causes the conflict. So, <laughs> you know, there's irony there that, again, I don't think I noticed that before this viewing. But
1: Isn't Maleficent all of us, though? We, we want to be invited to the prom, but we really deep down don't always want to go. Isn't that how that works? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like you see those memes on social media sometimes that are like, you know, uh, I I just want to be invited to things. I'm not going to go, right. but I still <laughs> want to be invited. <laughs>
1: Did you like how when she uh, said, it's more than I can bear, was that was that more foreshadowing, Chris? Do you think maybe? More than I can bear, as in uh, someone's going to turn to a bear?
0: Oh, you. oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that could be. That could be. Uh, so Maleficent then says, you know, because she goes to the castle of course with aurora and uh Diavel, and she sees humans that are like terrified you know they're like oh no maleficent is here maleficent is here uh run and hide you know protect your children whatever it is they're saying and some of them have pitchforks and maleficent is like pitchforks humans are hilarious <laughs> <laughs> and i love how like she looks at them and smiles and they scream <laughs>
1: i I love that scene i they look ridiculously terrified it's like she's just crossing the water in a magical bridge it's not like she's spewing fire you
0: know (laughs) right but of course we find out later in the movie why it is that they're so scared of her
1: yeah
0: uh but yeah here we hear uh the melody from uh james newton howard's the christening which uh i don't know it's hard for me to say what my favorite musical pieces from the first movie because there are some really really great tracks there's the christening there's the maleficent suite there's maleficent flies there's really really great pieces from the first movie it's hard for me to pick my favorite one but i feel like if i had to it would probably be the christening i love that music and it is recycled here as they're entering the castle you hear the same music that you heard in the first movie when maleficent shows up and curses aurora But yeah, then, uh, you know, returning to what you were just saying a little while ago, uh, Rick, about the, uh, the bear thing, uh, Diaval says, like, have you ever considered turning me into a bear? I think I'd make quite an impressive one. And yeah, this is more foreshadowing because of what happens near the end. Um, it does make me wonder, though, how Diaval seems to understand human behavior so well. Like, he seems to understand human behavior so much better than Maleficent does, and I'm not really sure how or why, because presumably he has spent most of his life as a raven.
1: Was he a kid or an adult when they... In the first movie, I thought he was adultish when Maleficent rescued him from the guys that were beating him, or am I wrong?
0: Yeah, no, when she transforms him into a human, uh, he's an adult man.
1: Oh, uh, that's right, okay.
0: Yeah. But yeah, then they uh, they go into the dining hall for uh, dinner, and I remember when I first saw this, uh, I think the first time I saw the movie was with my brother, my younger brother, Cody, and uh, when we see the pig on the table, and then, of course, everyone being served chicken or whatever it is, uh, I kind of, like, elbowed Cody, and I was like, I bet you anything that's going to become a conflict. Like, Maleficent's going to be like, how... How barbaric that you're you're eating animals, like how barbaric that you're you know i I thought that was going to be an issue um it's not really, but you can very clearly see that it's some sort of bird, right, and so maleficent says uh bird delicious, and then she looks knowingly at diavol <laughs> <laughs> but it is like really messed up if you stop and think about it because my assumption is that to not be rude. Diaval is expected to eat as well, you know, and he's naturally a raven, right? And so he's like a raven eating whatever that is, like a chick. It's not quite cannibalism because it's not raven that they're eating, but (laughs) it's pretty close. (laughs) Granted, I do know that ravens, I think, are scavengers, which means that they feed off dead animals, which means they probably do occasionally eat other ravens, but...
1: They're equal opp- equal opportunity hunters, maybe. Yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, like I said, I really thought that was going to cause a conflict. Uh, because you know I mentioned in the Maleficent episode, the last episode, that there are a couple of scenes in the movie where she's wearing what looks to be reptilian skin. Uh, and then uh, you know, another scene where she's wearing uh fur. It's what looks like fur in a winter scene, and I found that odd because I was like. As protector of the moors you would think that she would have this uh deep connection and appreciation for nature and wouldn't want to kill animals for clothing uh maybe she
1: conjures it and she mimics you know her brethren and sister in-
0: absolutely well, because there's I'm re- a i'm reaching here <laughs> no you're not you're not reaching because i had the same thought on this rewatch because of a scene later in the movie uh near the end where it does kind of seem like she conjures up an outfit so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's more than possible that the clothing is like magically conjured.
1: When you mentioned the meal, uh, I since I'm a vegetarian, I did have kind of a uh reaction when I saw that stuffed pig. Oh yeah, and the same. birds, and uh, I thought I wondered if Ingress purposely, you know, didn't really check in with anybody about what the meal should be, and said, you know what, I, I know that she has wings. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick, you know, chicken.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and plus. <laughs> I don't know how much of the Moors Ingrid is familiar with, but we saw in the first movie that the Moors has like porcine creatures. It has like -like pig-like creatures, you know? So because there was that battle scene near the beginning where she was fighting uh, King Henry and there were like tree people that were riding these giant like boars. So the Moors definitely does have pig-like creatures. So yeah, absolutely. I think that that was, there's a lot in this movie that I think is Ingrid. uh, Ingrith being Ingrith, I guess, (laughs) you know, uh, it's definitely intentional. Yeah,
1: right. Doing her, uh, I don't know what you call it, psychological warfare. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yes, she's a master gaslighter, manipulator. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's some more really great witty dialogue here. I think this was in the trailer. I think that this line might have been in the trailer, but Ingrith is talking about Stefan and uh, she says, you know, uh, did he die or was he killed? And (laughs) Maleficent says both. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta Gotta love that answer. Yes. And I just love the way she says it too. You know, it's just, oh man, Angelina Jolie in this role is just, you know, I think I mentioned in the last episode that I've seen her in a lot of movies. I've seen Angie in quite a few movies and I think this might be my favorite performance of hers, which, uh, is saying a lot because she's, uh, she's done some really, really, really great roles. Like, uh, I think next to Maleficent, my second favorite is probably The Changeling. I don't know if you've seen that. I did not see that. Yeah, it's just wonderful, heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking, but it's a wonderful movie. And her performance in that is riveting. Uh, So, yeah, just very, very, very gifted uh, she is. But, uh, you know, returning to what I said earlier, though, about the meat on the table, she also threatens to kill the cat. But also, does she? Because... The way that she words it is she says to Ingrid, contain your animal or I will. And obviously that is threatening, but what does she mean by contain, right? Does she mean that she's going to put it to sleep? Does she mean that she's going to kill it? Does she mean that she's going to trap it in some sort of uh, magical wall? You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, she might not mean kill it. So in Maleficent's defense, I just want, because anyone who knows me knows how much I love cats. <laughs> so <laughs> Anybody threatening to kill a cat is just automatically a villain in my eyes, but <laughs> uh, she's not necessarily threatening to kill it. I just want to point that out.
1: You know, it's a good example of, you know, her showing restraint because if she wanted to, she could have instantly.
0: Oh, absolutely. Cat. absolutely. She,
1: she didn't. She said, hey, I'm letting you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> I warns could her. Do, I,
1: could, I could do more. So you better do it or else. Yep. So.
0: And then uh, this was another line that I think was in one of the trailers. Uh, after Maleficent says that, you know, like, contain your animal or I will, Ingrid says, if I didn't know better, I'd say you were making a threat. And <laughs> Maleficent <laughs> says, well, do you? And Ingrid is like, do I what? Maleficent says, no better. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It is. It's such great witty dialogue because, I mean, it's kind of play. First of all, it's accomplishing a couple of things here. One of the things that it's accomplishing is I think it's showing that Maleficent doesn't always understand uh, human uh, interaction. Like, she doesn't always understand sarcasm and, uh, you know, figures of speech and metaphors and stuff like that. Uh, She doesn't always, uh, you know, because she's only been around humans minimally, you know? Like, so it makes sense that she wouldn't really fully understand human customs. So it's... In that sense, it makes sense. But then also on top of that, there's another layer to it, which is that, you know, that really doesn't ever make sense when people say that, you know, like whenever somebody says, if I didn't know better, and then they follow that up. And it's like, well, literally speaking, you're saying that you do know better. So why are you even saying this? Like, you know, (laughs) so I love how it's kind of playing on that, you know, uh, because Maleficent seems to take things literally you know, she yeah. doesn't always understand sarcasm and metaphors and stuff. So, yeah, just really, really love that line. Uh, I,
1: I feel like I need to put that in my pocket for a meeting one day. If someone says, well, I, if I didn't know better. Yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm,
0: I'm, I'll say, do you? Well, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but this, okay, there are a lot of scenes in this movie where obviously I really, really hate Ingrid. I think we're supposed to, you know. Yeah. Um, But this scene... I think that this might be the scene that made me the maddest, the scene that made me the angriest. Uh, Because, and I think a big part of it is that she's saying something like really, really biting and mean and awful here, but she's being duplicitous in the sense where she's masking it as something kind. And it's not like, it's not even remotely and Maleficent sees right through it. Uh, Because Ingrid says, now Aurora will finally get the love of a real family, a real mother. Oh, that makes me so mad. (laughs) Uh, Because obviously what she's implying here is that Aurora has not had a real family. She has not had a real mother. And that is incredibly insulting, you know. But I do wish that Aurora had spoken up. You know, I wish that she had said something like, you know, with all due respect, your majesty, I do have a real family. This is my mother. You know, I feel like a lot of this conflict maybe could have been avoided if uh, Maleficent had seen from the get-go that Aurora was on her side. So I do kind of wish Aurora had spoken up. But like I said, though, Ingrid knows exactly what she's doing here. You know, she's egging Maleficent on the way that Maleficent reacts. That's exactly what Ingrid wanted, right? She wanted her to react that way. So uh, she's just she's got her right in her pocket and everything is happening the way that she wants it to. So,
1: yeah, she wants to stir the pot. You know, one of the questions I had I wondered is how did how did Connell see Maleficent after she was shot? He just kind of came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And the funny thing is, like, I never really thought about that before. I just kind of like accepted that, oh yeah, he's here now to save Maleficent. I never really gave much thought to why (laughs) that is. But uh, I do wonder if he has some sort of magical ability to watch over her because like later in the movie when uh, they're talking about, you know, he, one of the reasons why I really, really like this character, why I really like Connell is basically his entire species has been uh, wiped out to the point where only like a select few remain and are in hiding because of how humans have basically exterminated them. And yet he's still optimistic. You know, he still has this hope inside of him that humans and fairies can live together in harmony, you know? So I love him for that. I love that he's optimistic and, uh, you know, uh, there's a word I'm looking for. It's happening again. (laughs) Uh, You know, but, yeah, and and he says something to her like, you know, uh, there's proof here that humans and fairies can live in harmony because, you know, the Moors are our sanctuary, right? That's our, that's basically, that's always been our home. And yet, you made a human queen. And so he knew not only that uh, Maleficent had made Aurora queen, but he also knew that Maleficent uh, raised her. Because he also says something to the effect of, like, you know, you basically raised a human. You know, you're you're a mother to this human child. And, of course, that's when we get that really biting line that, you know, I have no daughter. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he seems to know things that I don't quite understand how he knows. So it's possible that he has some sort of magical ability to watch her. And... Maybe he's like
1: the uh, Jedi
0: in Star Wars where he can sense a disturbance in the forest. Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> could be, yeah.
1: <laughs> like, uh, you know, all those lab experiments under the castle and maybe, you know, he's sensing trouble.
0: Yeah, because I mean, like, Connell seems to be the leader. Like, he seems to, yeah, Yeah, I get the sense that he's like the leader of the, the exiled fairies. And so it would make sense that they would want to keep tabs on the one dark fae that's not with them, you know, that's out right. on her own. So I
1: think too his introduction and, and the Dark Fae, the other exile dark fays introduction, man, that really shows that cinematography that, that is so beautiful in this movie. This the spot where 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 Angelina's uh recovering in the cavern, she's just so well lit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh she yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: And um the close ups of her wings, it's just everything is just so beautifully done.
0: This is one of my favorite scenes from the movie. This whole sequence of, uh, you know, her waking up after being shot and uh, injured and Connell rescuing her. And, uh, you know, she goes down into the cave or the cavern or whatever it is. And then uh, Connell shows her, like, the remaining fairies. And I love, love, love that scene. It's just absolutely beautiful, like you said. Uh, And I just love her look too like i mean like her uh her attire you know her her outfit if you will um when she first wakes up you know they did not really do a whole lot of merch marketing for this movie which is really unfortunate um because i remember like with the first movie the first maleficent movie uh there was a uh maleficent funko pop which of course i i have um there were a couple of them. In fact, there was one that was just like the regular one that I think it was hot topic that had an exclusive that glowed in the dark. Um, and then there were also like several dolls, like, you know, there was a three or four different Maleficent uh, dolls, you know, and with this movie, it seemed like they didn't do as much advertising via products, you know, which is really unfortunate, because this is one scene where I really would have loved a, uh, like a doll or a Funko pop of this outfit. You are speaking my language, Christopher.
1: (laughs) You know, you know, I love me some Funko pops. Um, And I know this is jumping ahead, but uh, after Aurora and Philip get married, uh, the black and white dress that Maleficent swoops up in on, when they're on the balcony, that dress
0: is so beautiful. I'm like,
1: why wasn't there a Funko of that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yep. (laughs) And again, it was black and white, you know, my favorite theme
0: yes yeah there's definitely a lot of that there's a lot of contrast in this movie yeah but yeah i love that dress too there are so many uh like scenes in this movie where i'm like "Oh, that would have made such a beautiful dollar that would have made such a great funko pop and you know we didn't get them so yeah it's uh it's kind of unfortunate hopefully
1: to to the listeners don't worry we are not just talking about funko pops and yeah
0: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah definitely not uh but, yeah, hopefully the uh, the third movie, you know, when it comes yeah. out, will have more merch than this one did. Uh, like you said, this one didn't even have a physical release of the soundtrack. <laughs> really. Yeah, it was
1: weird. Yeah, Very weird. really weird. I wanted to ask your opinion. When Bora says, "Eureka of human, is that a hint of Maleficent's parentage or just from her close contact with Aurora and Diavol?
0: That is could be it could be that he's hinting at her parentage because i don't want to spoil it just yet i'll get to it when we get to that part of the story but there is a possible clue in this movie that maleficent might not be fully fairy that she might be part human uh now the thing is uh there is i mentioned this in the last episode in the maleficent one episode Um, There is a novelization of the first movie written by Elizabeth Rudnick, and you get a little bit of backstory about Maleficent's parents in that book. Um, It reveals that they were fairies named Hermes and Lysander. They were killed by humans. Um, And of course, Hermes and Lysander, um, that's a reference to Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. They are fairies Mm -hmm. in that story. So I think it was trying to, uh, it was kind of just like this clever tie in that, oh, what if Maleficent is uh, you know, those two fairies from that Shakespeare play, she's their daughter, you know, like uh I think that was meant to just but the thing is though, I don't know whether or not Disney considers that book to be canon. It's very possible they're just ignoring that. So but uh one of my favorite scenes of the movie, I've already talked about this a little bit, is uh when Connell kind of gives uh, I was going to say Angie uh, Maleficent, <laughs> uh, a tour of kind of like the remaining subspecies of dark Fae. Uh, and I just love this scene because first of all, it's visually beautiful. And second of all, this is where my favorite track from the soundtrack is. And this is also an original piece. This is not recycled from the first movie, uh, but it's a piece called where dark Fay. and it's very, very beautiful music um that's playing here as maleficent is realizing that there are still all these other fairies like her around you know and the music just really really portrays that really well it's like there's a sense of adventure to it and also curiosity and wonder and hope and it just i think really exemplifies how she's feeling right then and there because up till this point in her life she's most likely believed that she was the last of her kind You know, that there were no other fairies like her. And now she's finding out that there are. So, yeah. I just really, really love that scene. But, uh, Connell tells her, we're all that remain, unseen here, far away from mankind. And I'm kind of confused about what this even is. Like, is this some sort of different dimension? Because how unseen are they if they're still, like, flying through the sky? You know, like, they seem like they're still, because I'm kind of confused about what this setting is. It seems like it's, like, underground in a cavern, but you do still see sky and you see uh, weather. You see, like, snow and stuff like that, and there's a desert terrain. And so I don't know how you could have all of those different types of weather and geography and in one cave. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that's some sort of, like, dimension that they're hiding in. I mean, Connell does say, like, he calls it, this cave, our nest of origin. Uh, but that cave could very well have some sort of magical component to it, where, so, you know how, like, in the, I think it's in both the Harry Potter movies and the Fantastic Beasts movies, where sometimes you'll have, like a uh, like, a bag or a chest or a, uh, a suitcase or something. And it's actually like a little portal into a whole other world, like a room or something like that. Like in the fantastic Beasts movies, for example, you know, you've got like uh newt who uh, carries around that briefcase and inside the briefcase is all these magical creatures, you know? Um, so maybe it's sort of like that where the cave is like a portal to this whole other like pocket dimension where they can live in safety I don't know. What what did you think of that? Like did you did you have any thoughts on that?
1: I had two two similar thoughts. Either it's a dimensional thing like, you know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, yeah. or Doctor Doctor Who's TARDIS, or Newt's um bag, like you mentioned from Fantastic Beasts. But it could also be sort of a remote, I don't know, entrance to a cave that just kind of is endless. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that could be. I mean, I guess the in order for them to have, like, flown to different, like, geographies and types of weather, though, they would have had to have been flying for a very long time. <laughs> because yeah. I don't know of anywhere... Now, granted, you know, this is a this is fantasy, so obviously the same rules don't necessarily apply. But I don't know of anywhere in the world where you're going to have, like, snowfall right next to a desert. Like, I don't think that's yeah. a thing. <laughs> so, but...
1: My brain does that math for like, you know how there's mountains that are so high that there's snow on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: yet. yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that what we were meant to take from that was that wherever it is that they're hiding, whether it be an actual literal cavern or a dimension or whatever, uh, you know, different fairies have different uh, uh needs as far as their environment yeah. is concerned. You know, so like you have desert fairies, you have winter fairies, you have, you know... And so that's what I think we were meant to take from that is that somehow they created this place to be habitable for all of these fairies and their needs, you know. Uh oh, that's a good call too.
1: Um I was kind of confused about just what are the other dark phase magical abilities because I I felt like on one hand they were saying Maleficent was the last or or one that was special, but yet I saw some of the elders at that there was like a little celebration when Maleficent was healing and one of the elders was able to grow something that wasn't quite ready to grow, like some kind of vine. She produced leaves out of it. I thought they said she was the only one with powers, but maybe, maybe they just have limited nature only powers.
0: Yeah. I don't necessarily think that Maleficent is the only one with powers. I think that she's just the most powerful, like, uh, the way that I kind of take that is that different fairies have different abilities. So like some fairies will be able to uh, grow vines and right. influence nature in that way. Other fairies can heal. Other fairies can see into the future, you know, like different fairies have different abilities and Maleficent basically has all of them.
1: Gotcha. I had to actually rewind a couple of times because I was like, well, who's making those vines grow in the battlefield or the battle scene, you know, on the castle. Yeah, Yeah. And it was, I think it was the, it was their collective power for the ones that were in flight to the, to the castle grounds.
0: Yeah. Uh, because like the way that Bora words, it is he says that she has powers, none of us possess. Um, so oh, okay. to me, like that means that, yeah, there might be one or two powers here or there that she has that they don't like, maybe for example, none of them would have had the ability to like put that curse into effect, you know, right? that was, maybe an example of just how powerful she is. But um, either way, it's telling us that Maleficent is the most powerful. Uh, But I'm also like really confused by the whole Phoenix thing because Mm -hmm. Connell says like, you know, it is said that the dark Fae began with her evolved over centuries. And just as a side note, again, I know this is fantasy, but it (laughs) takes a lot longer than just a few centuries for that kind of evolution to happen. It would take, millennia probably even millions of years like (laughs) you know a phoenix doesn't uh evolve into a dark fairy in just a few centuries but it's magic it's it's fantasy so i can let it go uh but connell says you are the last of her descendants i think this is what you were just talking about rick yeah uh her blood is your own you are her and i have so many questions about this because first of all how does he know that You know, like, how can he possibly know that unless, like I said, he has some sort of uh, ability, like psychic ability, I guess, to maybe see into the past, see into the future, see things that uh, he's not like he can, for example, like look in on Maleficent, but not be near her. You know, I mentioned that earlier. Uh, So that could be. But also, if, as he says, the Dark Fae began with the Phoenix, then aren't they all descendants of the Phoenix, not just Maleficent? It's around this scene though where we get that line that I mentioned earlier that's very very biting oh, and it's hard yes. to hear. Uh it stings. Every time I watch this movie it always stings when she says it, you know, when uh yeah, she says I have no daughter. Uh ouch.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I was wondering too um close to that, I think close to that same part uh does does he fall in love with Maleficent do you think? I feel like he looks at her differently. He's a little more tender to her.
0: Yeah, and there's there's one scene in particular, I think, where she's walking away and he's kind of like looking at her and you can kind of interpret possibly the way that he's looking at her as being like longing, desire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah definitely could be, especially since he will go on to sacrifice his life for her, right? He will give up his life to save her, so maybe. But I do wonder if Maleficent 3, uh, whenever we get it, will give maleficent a love interest like i don't necessarily think that she needs one you know because like similar to how like with frozen elsa doesn't have a love interest and you know there are some people who feel like she should and then there are some people who feel like she doesn't need one and not everybody needs a significant other you know they can be they can live happy fulfilling lives on their own without a significant other and that was one of the things that i loved about once upon a time was that you know even though it was uh uh you know, if you haven't seen Once Upon a Time, then then mute this for the next few seconds because I'm about to spoil something. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I hated that they killed off Robin Hood. But at the same time, that allowed for Regina to evolve on her own and realize that she didn't need a lover, you know, and that was kind of nice. So I don't necessarily think that Maleficent needs a love interest, but that is a route that they could go. Uh, but there are some fans I've seen who, and I don't really know how I feel about it, I kind of have complicated feelings about it, but there are some fans who seem to ship her with Diaval. Like, how do you feel about that?
1: I am a Diavol and Maleficent shipper all the way. <laughs> I bought a Sam Riley, Mr. Darcy Funko Pop uh, from Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies just so that I could have him standing beside my Maleficent Funko Pop so that I can, ch- I can channel that they're going to be together.
0: That is so cool. Yeah. Uh Rick is, is showing me a, a picture of them right now of his pops. And yeah, it definitely passes as a, a possible D Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I can I can see it. I mean I can I can definitely see where uh where that might go in that direction. But um there's almost something like the way that they just like their banter and the way that they uh just kind of like poke fun at each other and stuff like that. There's almost something like familial, like, uh, like brother, sister almost, or even like mother, son, like it just, there's something. Yeah. So that's why I kind of have complicated feelings about it because I can definitely see that happening, but there's also, I don't know. There's just, it's hard to explain. There's, there's already an established relationship there, but it's not a romantic one. And so I just feel like they would really have to sell it in a believable way you know, for me, at least,
1: you know, good and bad. It's like, it, it, maybe it's a trope. I don't know, but you know, my love was here all along. You were here all along. You know what I mean? I could see them doing that. It's not like, uh, choosing him would define her. Like she is her own strong independent person. You know, she doesn't, you know,
0: absolutely. No, I agree. And that's the thing too. Like, I want to, I want to emphasize that, that when I say that she doesn't necessarily need a love interest that doesn't mean that if they give her one, they're ruining her character. Like that's right. yeah, that's not what I mean.
1: That's complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so just like in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Real life is very complicated, probably even more complicated than uh than movies are. <laughs> yeah. Uh but uh Philip recognizes that something is bothering Aurora, and uh so she like goes out onto the balcony, she's like looking out longingly, and he goes out there with her and says, Tell me what's troubling you. And I'm just like, really, Philip? Like, I guess it's just because he wants her to open up and and say it, but he must know what's wrong with her. Like, it's obvious. Like, did he not see what happened? Like, her mother figure, essentially her mother, has ran out on her, is missing, possibly cursed his father. Like, there's nothing good happening right now. So, of course she's upset. (laughs) So, yeah, that's just uh, I I don't quite understand. Like I said, it's probably just because he he uh, he wants to help her feel better, but he doesn't want to push too hard. So he wants her to just open up and be the one to say what's wrong. But
1: I I wonder how how long did he believe the stuff that his mother told him about Maleficent? Do you know what I mean? When did he you know, was he even believing it up to the up to proposing to Aurora? Do you know what I mean?
0: I don't think so just because I can't remember the character's name but you know like the like the head soldier that tells him uh, yeah. yeah that that tells Philip that uh, you know I will do everything I need to to protect this kingdom you know and uh when uh Philip refers to them as more folk uh he says something like oh you're calling them more folk now and gotcha. uh yeah he seems very discriminatory against the more folk but anyway the point I'm getting at is that uh when I uh, when they have that conversation and uh, that soldier says like, again, I can't remember the character's name, but that soldier says something like, uh, you know, Maleficent is, is evil. She, uh, you know, she's, she, I'm trying to think of the way that he words it. Like we can't trust her, you know, something to that effect. Uh, And Philip says, she's not like that, you know? So good point. I don't think he quite believed his mother. Uh, But then again, it's like you have to wonder, well, If he didn't believe his mother and he believed that Maleficent really was like a good person and wasn't the monster that his mother was painting her to be, then why did it take him so long to realize that his mother was lying if he already knew she was lying? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, possible plot hole there. But, uh, you know... I do love, though, how, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Aurora does express regret at having asked Maleficent to cover her horns. Like, she's thinking now that that might be what caused this whole thing, that I should have shown more support. I should have, you know, uh, I should have had her back because maybe she wouldn't have lashed out like this if I had. I mean, she's still under the impression that Maleficent did curse Philip's father, but she's still accepting some accountability for that and saying that, you know, I didn't have her back the way that I should have. And so, you know... I do like how they like Aurora is definitely not like a quote. I don't like this phrase, but I can't think of a better way of wording it. Like, you know how like, uh, some characters will, uh, come under criticism by fans for being Mary Sue's, you know, like they're, they're just perfect. There's no, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with them. They're just a perfect, uh, perfect character, pure hearted. Uh, don't ever make any mistakes, you know, uh, and, Aurora is definitely not that like she does. uh, she, she is complex in the sense that she feels that you can sense that conflict in her in this movie where she knows that she is biologically a human being, but she identifies more with the Moors, but she also wants to be a part of humanity. You know, like there's a complexity there that I really appreciate. And that does, that is, I think, what causes her to make that mistake of asking Maleficent to cover her horns because she wants to be accepted by humans. She wants to be a part of humanity. She wants Philip's family to accept her. And she's afraid that Maleficent's appearance is going to prevent that from happening.
1: I think that's one of the things I really like about this film is that it does make you feel things and you aren't expecting to feel things, you know? Um, like when, like what you just described about covering the horns, that was really. gut punch um but when the the morphe uh dies in the lab because lick spittle is is forced to to kill it that is really rough and i'm like okay it's it's special effects (laughs) but still it's rough it's like watching a child
0: be hurt absolutely yeah and that's yeah that's such a great point that it goes to show how like emotionally powerful this movie is because yeah Yeah. it's not even a real creature and we know it's not a real creature it's a cg you know (laughs) special effects sort of thing but it's really really hard to watch. Every time I watch this movie I have to look away when he kills that creature. I do too. Yeah. Uh
1: and I think I think it's made even harder because the other creatures have to watch. Yes, absolutely. And it's just like, oh.
0: <laughs> absolutely. But I do, I do appreciate that, you know, when Spittle does kind of come around and, uh, change sides at the end, it's not a total, like, surprise, like, oh, where did that come from? He's been pure evil this whole time, now all of a sudden he's switching sides, like, it's not, it's believable, because he does hesitate, you know, like, twice, actually. Like, first he, uh, you know, he, he basically, like, gives Ingrid a look, like, are you sure? Like, I don't really think that I should do this, are you sure? And then, um... And then he kind of like hesitates a second time. So you could tell that he felt coerced into doing it and didn't truly want to. So yeah. yeah, they they definitely drop all these little hints that, you know, he's not pure evil. He's somehow like I'm not really sure. The movie, I don't think, ever explicitly says how she was forcing him to do this. I guess she was probably threatening to kill him if he didn't or something. I I'm not sure. But uh
1: I can't remember for sure. I apologize if I shouldn't say. Wasn't he not a pixie and and he had his wings cut off too?
0: Yeah, he was a pixie and had his wings removed, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe she told him that if you help me, then I'll give you your wings back. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it ever explicitly says, but, uh, Maleficent realizes that the fairy's uh, burial ground has been destroyed. Very, another emotionally heavy scene. Uh, And Bora says, this is what the humans do. They're nothing but locusts that swarm the Earth. And, you know, like I said, Bora's a really complex character because, uh, you know, I do think that there's a lot of uh, real-life, like, allegory in this movie, and this is a good example of that because you look at what humans are doing in real life to the Earth, you know, and he's not wrong, (laughs) Uh, you know, so... I mentioned how in the first movie there was a little bit of social commentary on that because of how King Henry basically just wants to conquer the Moors, you know, and Maleficent is moved by the fact that Aurora is a human and yet she doesn't want to conquer the Moors. She wants to appreciate it and be part of it and live in it, you know? Um, And so there was kind of like a little bit of an environmentalist message there. And I think that this movie drives that home even farther. Yeah. and that's a great example of a line where, you know, it's like, well, Bora, you might be a little bit aggressive and, uh, you know, maybe a little bit too too much of an extremist, radicalist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, especially from his perspective. You know, like I said earlier, a lot of these fairies, all they've ever known is, uh, you know, destruction from humans, death and destruction and uh, persecution you know that's all they've ever seen so from their perspective yeah humans are evil but uh after Connell dies cuz unfortunately like i said uh the ingress soldiers come into the uh the the burial ground and destroy it and then uh they shoot like a uh they they're shooting like the the uh the stuff that uh Lick Spittle is made it's like a iron powder combined with the uh, the tomb bloom flower. And that kills fairies if you combine it. And Maleficent almost gets shot with one of those, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like bullets, cannonballs. I don't know what you'd call them, but uh, she almost gets hit with one of them. And he protects her. He gets in the way and takes it, you know, for her. And uh, he does eventually die, unfortunately. And he says, he tells her, uh, remember where you came from. Remember who you are. And this reminds me a lot of The Lion King. Uh, Mufasa says something very similar to Simba. And the funny thing about this is that the actor who plays Connell is actually, uh, he plays the voice of Scar in the live action Lion King. So it's kind of funny oh, how wow. that's, yeah, that's a similar line. And uh, yeah, I mean, different character. He didn't play Mufasa, but still. Um, But one thing that does kind of confuse me, though, is when Connell dies, Maleficent, like, puts her forehead up to his, like, they, 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 like, touch heads, I guess, <laughs> I don't know how else to word that. Uh, And it seems like there's, like, power seeping out of him that's going into her. So it seems like she's, like, absorbing his power, making her even more powerful.
1: Yeah, now that you say that, I wonder if it's because she is the descendant of the Phoenix and... He for some reason knows that she could absorb his consciousness.
0: Maybe, maybe? yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, I'm not sure if she like absorbed part of his consciousness or if she absorbed his power or or what happened there. But it looked like energy was like dissipating out of him and going into her. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But uh, I really, really, really liked Connell though. Like, it's that's it's really sad that he had to die. Uh, he was such a great character. But you know, I feel like. Whenever you have a movie about some sort of war, if you have, like, a, a hopeful, optimistic idealist, they're going to die. Like, I just feel like that's such a trope. <laughs> they always do, you know. Uh, but, you know, the uh, the plan is that they're going to invite all of the Moors creatures to the kingdom for the wedding. And obviously that's not what the real plan is because they have a, uh, you know, a uh, an execution planned, a mass execution uh slaughter and i love the scene where all of the morse creatures are crossing the water and entering the kingdom because it's so beautiful both thematically and visually thematically speaking this is like a symbol of a union you know harmony you know that they're like crossing this water into the kingdom and that's how the movie will end right Is that they've achieved that harmony um but it's also very visually beautiful um but there is more music here in this scene that's borrowed <laughs> from the first one. Uh, like I said, a lot of it is. Uh, it really hit me, especially on this watch. Like I said, that uh, probably if I had to guess, like maybe 40 to 50 percent of the music is, uh, you know, melodic motifs that are borrowed from the first movie. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of sociopolitical commentary in this movie. Not only the environmentalist stuff, but... You know, I think there's also some commentary on racism in this movie uh, because, you know, we've got these two sides that fear each other just because of their biological makeup, you know. And um, there's a scene where Diaval, he's in his human form because ever since Maleficent was attacked, uh, he's stuck in one form because she's missing and she can't turn him back. And so he's stuck in his human form, although I'm not 100% sure how that happened because— You would think that his default would be a raven, because that's what he is naturally. That's what he started off as. And yet, when she gets attacked and falls into the water, he is a raven, but he turns into a human. And it seems like that happens on its own. Like, I don't think she turned him into a human. It seems like that happened on its own, which doesn't make a lot of sense, because that's not his natural form. So, yeah, not sure what to make of that. But anyway, he's in his human form, and he's trying to... uh, Enter the building, the uh, like the the ceremony where they're gonna house the ceremony. Like he's trying to enter there, um, and the guards are keeping him out. You know, they're because they think he's a human, right? And they're trying to exterminate the more creatures, and so they're trying to keep him out. And they say to him, like, we've been told to let the uh other kind find their seats first, you know, and so. There's some pretty, uh, I think that there's some, some, uh, the way that that's worded, I think is, is deliberate, you know, because, uh, you know, back in like during the, uh, the times when places were segregated, for example, and because that's exactly what's happening here is they're segregating the more folk from the humans. Now, granted it's because they're trying to kill the more folk off, but still there's segregation happening here. And. That is oftentimes how it was worded back in, you know, when segregation was still a major issue in the United States was, you know, we don't serve your kind here. You know, your kind isn't welcome here. You know, that's what they they were referring to, like skin color and race. And so, you know, I just think that the language there is is very deliberate. But another thing that I noticed on this watch that I don't think I did notice before And that's one reason why, like, it's, it's always a joy to go back and rewatch some of my favorite movies, because I'll pick up on things that I didn't before. Uh, But one thing that I picked up on this time is that, you know, Philip gives Aurora a tomb bloom as a kind of like wedding present, you know, and he says that he got it from his mother. And this is what makes Aurora suspicious, because she's like, well, wait a minute, why does she have a tomb bloom? You know, why did she have a tomb bloom to give to him? And she remembers, as Queen of the Moors, that fairies were going missing, right? So we get that coming back into play. Uh, and so she's like, wait a minute, fairies are going missing, tomb blooms are the flower that sprouts from their burial ground, something's not right here, some things are adding up that are making me uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's when she goes down to the basement and uh, finds the, you know, lickspittles. uh experimentation chamber and but you know the point i want to get to though is that it seemed to me like Ingrid wanted aurora to find that because first of all she must have known that if i give philip this tomb bloom to give to aurora that's going to make aurora suspicious and then on top of that she leaves the uh the head of the statue that she was using to turn to get into the door the hidden compartment she leaves that turned you know like you think she would have been careful and been like let's turn this back to where it's supposed to be so nobody suspects you know but no she leaves it turned so it's like she's i mean she's practically leaving aurora breadcrumbs you know it's like she wants her to go down to the basement to find this and it's interesting because like when she does go through that hidden door she's going down like a spiral staircase it's a very narrow spiral staircase it looks like it's uh like a stairwell that's inside of a narrow spire of a castle and it's very similar to the one that maleficent lures uh, aurora up in when she lures her to the the spindle of the spinning wheel in sleeping beauty aurora is lured up a very similar stairwell and so it's almost like this is Ingrid luring aurora except she's not using magic to do it she's just leaving her a trail of breadcrumbs so uh I didn't notice that till this time because I definitely do think that she wanted Aurora to know what she was up to and this it was a trap.
1: That's super interesting. I didn't even think about that. I, I wonder maybe if it was also or potentially uh just to force a confrontation.
0: Well, that's what I mean. Like I think she wanted to uh have that conversation with Aurora, like she wanted Aurora to know
1: but then then possibly not thinking through that Aurora would go to the wardrobe area and figure out.
0: Well, I think she wanted that. I think, because Mm -hmm. like I said, she left that head on the statue unturned. uh, And then giving uh, Philip the tomb bloom flower to give to her. Like she must've known that's going to make her suspicious because where would she have gotten that? Where else would she have gotten that unless she had someone go into the moors to take it?
1: Don't they say criminals deep down want to get caught? Don't they say that? (laughs) Uh, ingrith briefly mentioned the story about her brother uh some backstory about how he was possibly killed that was her suspicion by more folk um but i would have loved to know a little more like what really happened i could see maybe her blaming them but really maybe it was her fault maybe she had a hand in it or maybe her brother was a bad guy and you know attack the attack them but it, it would have been interesting to get a little more on that but i realize they've got time limitation.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, okay. So I think that that is something that could potentially be explored in the third movie just because it seemed like they were trying to uh, give us maybe like that was like maybe a, uh, a clue as to what another movie could cover because it offers so little in the way of yeah. backstory there. And we know that Ingrith is a pathological liar. So we don't even right. know if she's telling the truth there, you know? Um, but the way that I read that scene is that I do think that she's telling the truth about his disappearance. Like I do think that he did disappear, but I think that it might be one of those things are not what they seem sort of things. And this is where uh... I said earlier that maybe this was a clue as to Maleficent's parentage, because what if, ingrith is actually maleficent's aunt like what if oh. her brother went into the moors fell in love with a fairy and that's why he disappeared and the fairy that he fell in love with was maleficent's mother that's uh, Interesting. another thing i noticed on this watch is it's interesting how Bora and connell kind of like mirror ingrith and john because Bora is very much like all humans are evil we need to extinguish them. we need to get rid of them like war is coming all humans are evil that's bora you know connell is more of the idealist you know the no we can live in harmony we can still make this happen you know humans and fairies can still live together in peace and harmony and then you look at Ingrid and john and it's kind of the same thing right Ingrid is right. uh all more folk are are terrible. They're you know they're monsters. They're creatures. We need to get rid of them. We need to eradicate them. And John is you know no this is we can live in peace with them. Like this marriage is going to usher in a new era of peace. So it's kind of interesting how those two pairings kind of mirror each other. Agreed. So yeah, I mentioned earlier how Aurora is complex, and I feel complex compared, especially to her animated counterpart. And she's incredibly smart, incredibly resourceful. And I think that we see that in this movie even more so than we do in the first one. Uh, you know, I love how she escapes from her room. <laughs> it's so <laughs> clever. It is. <laughs> uh, you know, because she like she she uh, breaks something so that it sounds like she fell and she screams and she wants the guards to think that she's fallen out the window when in reality all she's done is tied a bed sheet around the bed and then out the window to make it look like she's escaped that way. But she's actually hiding behind the door. So then when they go into the room and go out the window to see if she's fallen, she runs out the door and locks them in. (laughs) So very, very clever. Uh, And then it gets even better. It gets even more clever when we realize that the bed sheet wasn't just for show. She actually did plan on using that. (laughs) So I think
1: the bedsheet thing gets used in other movies but i i feel like how they did it it looked like it could actually work
0: oh yeah yeah especially <laughs> since it almost doesn't like she she right. yeah <laughs> uh so coming up on the final battle here uh the the final battle sequence um it's so epic i mean every time i watch this movie this whole sequence gives me chills um it feels very like game of thrones asked to me uh very high stakes. Um and you know, we don't necessarily lose any major, major characters. Like, um, I mean it does we we do lose Connell, but you know, it doesn't kill off like Bora. It doesn't permanently kill off Maleficent. Uh, you know, like Diavol makes it. Uh it's high stakes, but at the same time it's not like we necessarily lose anybody major. But at the same time, it's still like really, really hard to watch those fairies like dying and exploding in this red powder you know this red cloud and the other fairies that are close to the ones that are dying are screaming you know no no it's it's really hard to watch but the red explosions though are such a great visual effect it's so beautiful like it's it's not beautiful in the sense of you know considering what's happening but just visually speaking it's it's great cinematography and i don't know did you notice this i did not notice this until this time Uh, Like I said, there are quite a few things that I picked up on on this watch that I didn't before. Um, But there's a scene where it looks like there's like a uh, like a tower or something that's going that's on its way down to the ground and it's falling and it's about to kill several human children. And one of the dark fairies, I think Udo is his name. uh, He's the one that's like got long white hair and uh, like I think he's dressed all in white. Uh, he saves them like he he picks those few children up and moves them away from the tower that's falling or whatever it is that's falling uh and saves them so and i didn't notice that until now and you know i think that goes to show that not all of these fairies were bloodthirsty like bora was you know like some of them were probably more on team connell where ideally they wanted peace
1: i i did see that and i i liked it a lot and i I, in my head I was thinking well it's good that the kingdom will see that because that pushes down the propaganda that uh I can't think of her name all of a sudden <laughs> Ingrith uh was was spreading um and so yeah I think that was cool very it was a very Marvel thing wasn't it <laughs> um and then the the death of little oh so brutal I'm like oh did they have to <laughs> they have to kill her up.
0: i mean there's a uh like a, a hint at the end of the movie that maybe she'll be coming back uh mm. you know because uh there's this implication it seems that i don't know that's the thing it's kind of weird because it's like maleficent obviously dies and then comes back because she's a descendant of a phoenix but it seems like all fairies do that to an extent because it said something to the effect of like you know when they die they're buried in the burial ground and then a tomb bloom flowers as a result and then that gives life to another fairy i think is what they said Uh, so it seems to be like this constant like rebirth sort of thing uh i don't know i'm a little confused because yeah you've got that scene near the end where uh what's what's their names you've got uh knotgrass and uh thistlewit. yeah and they are arguing over <laughs> aurora's dress being pink or green and then it turns blue and a blue flower sprouts and so there seems to be an implication there that that's flittle and that maybe she'll become flittle again i don't know we'll have to wait and see I if that happens if, i wonder in the third if she'll one,
1: but... be um like a childlike yeah yeah it could like, be no and they'll, and they'll kind of raise her
0: yeah yeah definitely could be uh but yeah i totally agree though it's very tough to watch that whole sequence is tough to watch and you know locking all of these uh people into this building and uh shooting this uh you know this uh powder at them that kills them like it just on a very, like, uncomfortable and disturbing level, it reminds me of, like, uh, you know, Holocaust gas chambers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm it's glad very, you said very it disturbing. not me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because I was like, oh, should I say that? But no, yeah. I, I, them trying to get out and not being able to, it was just like, oh, I've seen this so much.
0: Absolutely. And that's, I think, a big part of the reason why it's so disturbing is that, you know, even though it is like a fairy tale, it's a fantasy movie, you know, there are still some very real things in it. You know, like... Yeah. Ingrith is a very real villain. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I love when Diaval starts turning into a bear and I love it for two (laughs) reasons. Uh, One is the one we've already talked about, which is that it's a callback to a line from earlier in the movie, but also Diaval can't change himself. Right? So if he's changing, it means Maleficent is nearby. So, (laughs) you know, Maleficent is here. Yes. uh, And I love this look too. Like, the uh the like the black eye shadow around her eyes and yes uh her eyes are red and uh i think i'm not 100% sure but i think we're meant to see what she's wearing as what she was wearing prior but now she's like ripped it up mm, okay. i think but uh i love this look this is another look that another outfit that i would have loved merch of but
1: yeah if only they would listen to us i know
0: <laughs> uh <laughs> But another thing that I noticed on this watch is that Maleficent's magic here is like a sickly yellow. It's like a it's like in between yellow and green. Mm-hmm. And in the past, like in the first movie for example, uh oftentimes when Maleficent's intentions are benign, the magic is yellow. But when she's coming from a place of like anger or vengeance or, you know, something like that, it's green. And here, it's like in between. It's like, you know, like a greenish yellow, like a sickly yellow. And so I think we're meant to see that as her conflict, right? She's very conflicted here because she sees what humans are doing to fairies around her. She sees her fairies, her her brethren, her sisters and brothers, basically, exploding in these red clouds of powder. Mm. And humans are doing that to them. So on one hand, she's seeing firsthand what humans are capable of. But then on the other hand, she's holding on to the hope that Connell had, you know, that we can still live in harmony. We can still make right. this work. So it kind of makes sense that her magic would be both yellow and green, you know, because it's that conflict within her. And it's in keeping with, you know, the contrast that you were talking about with like the light and dark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think that she at least in part, starts to change her mind about Philip when she sees that, you know, Philip has a sword up against Bora's neck, but he throws it right. He drops the sword to the, to the floor, to the ground. And Maleficent sees that, you know, and I think that might be partly what changes her mind, you know, not fully yet because she still does uh, approach Aurora. And uh, Aurora says like, I know who you are. Like, you know, this isn't you. I know you. And Maleficent says, you do not. Right. And she still has that look of like, just fury in her eyes, like absolute hate and fury. And so she hasn't completely come around yet. But I think that's when she starts to, is that she sees that Philip could have killed Bora and he doesn't. He throws down his sword
1: when aurora finally says you're my mother i was like oh, oh yeah so sweet and yes. it built up I, actually, I think i gasped every time i've seen it um and then when uh Ingo shoots her with the crossbow i'm like no and i, I laughed because you remember <laughs> i'm gonna embarrass myself here uh <laughs> breaking dawn part two when uh carlisle culling gets killed yeah but not really I felt like that's the same feeling I had when Maleficent was shot with the crossbow, like, no, she's not supposed to die.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, like, the interesting thing is that, like, I still remember how I felt when I first saw that, when I first saw the movie. And I was just completely shocked. I didn't expect that, even though, like, there are so many clues in the movie that she's going to die and be reborn. Like, there are so many clues. Like, between Connell saying that she's a descendant of the Phoenix, what are Phoenix known for doing? you know, dying and coming back. uh, And Ingrith, you know, and Lickspittle coming up with this substance that can kill fairies. uh, You know, there are so many clues. And then also Connell talking about transformation, you know, and how maybe our final transformation is peace. And, you know, a lot of clues throughout the movie that she's going to die. So it shouldn't have taken me by surprise like it did, but it did. I was very shocked. And I remember thinking to myself, like, she's the main character of these movies, it's, you know, right. like she can't die, but how is she going to come back? You know, like she just killed her. How is she going to come back? She can't die. You know, I
1: think I check. I think I checked the time when that happens. Like how much time was left in this movie? Because I had to know if, if there was enough time to bring her back.
0: And that would have been so devastating if they'd left it like right. that. I mean, I think that uh, there was, it would have been reasonable, I think for somebody to worry that they would yeah. do that because, you know, Maleficent dies in Sleeping Beauty. So maybe this is how they finally make that happen in this universe. And, you know, that would have been devastating. I'm really glad they didn't. But yeah, same. Yeah. I loved her even before seeing Maleficent. And uh, I was worried because I thought that Maleficent was going to be like a direct tie-in to Sleeping Beauty, that it was going to be like a retelling of it, except like Mm -hmm. the same exact stuff happens, but it's from Maleficent's perspective. You know, that's what I thought it was going to be. And so I was like, oh man, I really don't want to watch her die (laughs) uh fortunately that's not what happened but uh uh so yeah ingrith kills maleficent and then says to aurora and you know also i want to point out too that the death is especially hard to watch because of aurora's reaction to it like her grief and her crying and the way that she screams no it's just wow really really great i mean Elle Fanning really shows her acting chops in that scene. I think that that's probably her best scene in this movie is her reaction to Maleficent's death. Uh, Very hard to watch. But uh, yeah, Ingrid kills Maleficent and then she says, you know, I spread the story of the evil witch and the princess she cursed. It didn't matter who woke Sleeping Beauty. They were all terrified and the story became legend. So yeah, it seems like we're supposed to believe that the events of Sleeping Beauty, and I think you mentioned this at the very top of the episode, Rick, Uh, you know, like the events of Sleeping Beauty are basically the story that Ingrid told people. Like, that's the lie that people believe, and that's why, like, when Maleficent enters the kingdom, people are terrified because they think that she's this monstrous, demonic, uh, evil force of nature that can transform into a dragon, you know? it would make sense that they would be scared of her if that's what they've been told. And this was
1: really a testament to choosing Michelle Pfeiffer to be Ingrid. Cause I, I can't think of what other actress would we have taken seriously to be able to be that diverse? You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've loved uh, Michelle Pfeiffer for most of my life because uh, probably my favorite movie of all time, like if someone was forcing me to choose my Uh number one favorite movie of all time, what's that? (laughs)
1: I said, uh-oh, here we go.
0: Yeah. Uh, it would probably be uh, Batman Returns. And she ah. is a phenomenal Catwoman. Like, yeah. absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean... Okay, so Maleficent transforms into a uh, phoenix and uh, comes back to life. But first, instead of her humanoid form, she's a giant phoenix. And I do love this, because I think that this is essentially... Because there were people, I talked about this in the last episode, in the Maleficent episode, there were people who did not like that movie for various reasons. And one of those reasons that I frequently saw people cite was that she didn't turn into a dragon. And she still doesn't, but it's dragon-like, you know? Like it's a, this phoenix is definitely uh, similar, in a sense, to a dragon. So, you know, we, we do still get to see a transformation even though it's not technically into a dragon it's still a transformation and i think that that was meant to be like a callback to her transformation in sleeping beauty because it didn't happen in maleficent right the dragon was right. Diaval. um so yeah but i will say okay so i don't have many things to say about ingrith having any good in her i don't think she has much <laughs> uh it's, she's definitely a very difficult character to defend but I will say that I don't think that her intention was ever to kill Aurora. Like when she shot the crossbow at her, she knew Maleficent was going to get in the way. Uh, when she pushed Aurora off the top of the castle, that was just a way to escape because she knew that Maleficent was going to focus on saving Aurora rather than on her. Uh, she knew Maleficent would save her. So, and again, I'm I'm not necessarily trying to defend Ingrid because she's a terrible, terrible human being, but <laughs> I don't think that she like, especially throwing aurora off the top of the castle i don't think that the intention there was to kill her it was just to get away
1: i, I love the line when maleficent i guess is reincarnated if you will and she's uh hello beastie <laughs> this is the best um yeah. and i know th- i noticed that this is when they're kind of playing kind of fast and loose with her wardrobe like suddenly she's in a, a totally different dress than what we've seen but i realize because magic right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and this she's is the most like... powerful one she can show up in whenever she wants to show up. in. Yeah.
0: And we alluded to this earlier because this could explain, uh, you know, how it is that she would be wearing like reptilian skin and fur in the right. first movie without killing animals for it. You know, that maybe it's just magically conjured. Yeah. Uh, I do also love Aurora's line here because when Maleficent transforms back into her, uh, humanoid form, Aurora says, well, well, <laughs> so yeah, really cute callback there. Uh, and I do like, we talked a little bit about this already. I love, I don't know how to define it. That's my biggest problem with it is I don't know if it's like, if they're, if it's strictly platonic, if they're like really close friends, if they're like brother, sister, if they're like parent, child, you know, I'm not really sure how to define it, but whatever it is, I do absolutely love the relationship between (laughs) Maleficent and Diaval. Uh, You know, and I talked about this a little bit in the last episode on the first Maleficent movie. And I mentioned how it's kind of driven home even more in this one. And that would make sense because they've known each other for even longer now. But, you know, they do kind of like banter the way that siblings would. Like, for example, uh, you know, Maleficent says, I missed you. And Diaval says, did you bump your head then? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. Uh, And then a little later, like during the wedding, you know, Diaval is crying and maleficent scolds him and says pull yourself together but she's crying too (laughs) yeah i just i i I love love their 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 dynamic their banter just definitely one of my favorite aspects of these movies is those two
1: and did did you happen to catch (laughs) and maybe i didn't see it right but um when maleficent changed Ingrid into a goat did she change her into a male goat because it sure seemed like there was extra anatomy (laughs) (laughs) and i thought is that was that just a bad editing or is that just you know maleficent's really going to make sure she suffers
0: (laughs) yeah you uh you messaged me uh, a couple days ago uh, maybe it was yesterday i don't remember when it was but uh you know whenever it was you you messaged me and you brought that up and i was like oh well i'm gonna have to go back and and check that you know and i'm pretty sure that you're right like when i first (laughs) saw it i was thinking maybe it's an otter yeah, but then you get like a side view of it a little after that. And it definitely doesn't look like an otter. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: I thought about Googling it, but I was like, I don't know if I want that in my search history.
0: <laughs> well, I think you might be right. I think that she turned her into a male goat, which uh, maybe that's because like the idea came from originally turning Philip into a goat. Uh, maybe. maybe. Um, but yeah, that's a great callback. To a line earlier in the movie that we mentioned, you know, about uh, her turning Philip into a goat. But it's also very ironic because she has turned her into something with horns. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, Aurora wants Maleficent to walk her down the aisle at the wedding. So she asks Aww. her. Yeah, it's adorable. Uh, she asks her, will you give me away? And I love Maleficent's <laughs> reaction to that. Like, her eyes go wide, and she's like, never, you know, because another example of what I'm talking about, she doesn't seem to, like, understand human expressions, you know? Uh, she takes things literally. So, you know, she thinks that Aurora's asking her, will you no longer be my mother? You know? right? <laughs> uh, but, no, just a really great line there. Like I said, a lot of really great, clever, witty dialogue in this movie.
1: You know, in the in the... First movie uh, podcast you talk about self-referential Disney and now that you've put that in my head I see it all over the place
0: yeah <laughs>
1: um, like when the when the Faye are helping Aurora put her dress on it looks like Cinderella
0: oh yeah and definitely
1: it, it was very reminiscent of that yeah and um, Maleficent at the end said see you with the christening <laughs> just more more christening foreshadow
0: the funny thing about that line is that the line itself is kind of like a wink you know what I mean? Yeah. But then Maleficent actually does literally wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, I mentioned this earlier, Knotgrass uh, and Thistlewit are arguing over Aurora's dress color, and we see it repeatedly going back and forth between pink and green. And mm-hmm. this is a reference to Sleeping Beauty, although in, in Sleeping Beauty it was pink and blue. You had uh, Flora and Merryweather arguing over whether her dress should be pink or blue. And the closing scene of the movie is uh philip and aurora dancing in the castle and aurora's dress repeatedly changing back and forth because the fairies are arguing over it so that's a reference to that um yeah and then the other thing i wanted to point to about the ending is that at the very very end and we do see this boy earlier in the movie but we don't get as good of a view of him as we do here Uh, at the very very end of the movie we see maleficent flying alongside a little fairy boy And, uh, this part was actually played by twins, which that does happen often. Yeah. This happens often in movies where you have like, uh, a child character being played by twins. And the reason that that happens is that there are child labor laws and you can't have, like you can't overwork, you can't have a child actor on set for too long. Right. And so if there are twins, oh, perfect. We can switch them on and off. You know, we can switch them in and out. Uh, so yeah, that's, that part is actually played by twins and the father of the twins. Uh, you mentioned the Maleficent Facebook group earlier in the episode that I started, which is how we met. And, uh, the father of the twins is actually in that group. I don't know if he still is. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he still is because I haven't talked to him in a while, but yeah, shortly after the movie came out, uh, you know, like he was in the group and sharing pictures of the the kids on set and everything and, uh yeah, it was really cool. Really, really cool to get that. that awesome. Yeah. To get that uh, connection to somebody who, you know, and like he even talked about how, you know, he briefly met Angelina and she was just lovely. And, uh, oh,
1: that's, that's good to hear. You always wonder. you always wonder, you know, don't meet your heroes. Cause yeah. You never know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I mentioned the mu- music a lot. Um, Oh yeah. But, but I tell you what, a good soundtrack really just makes, a good movie even better and i loved the score for this film and i loved i love the bb rexa you can't stop the girl track and i know you know everyone loves lana del rey and it's hard to follow that up but i really liked her song and if if anyone uh looks up the Ellen DeGeneres show performance of um you can't stop the girl by bb it's really really good
0: yeah yeah i've actually i've heard that because you shared it with me a few years ago yeah um it's really great um yeah, I mean I don't I don't hate this song. I think it's a decent song, but it just doesn't have the same power to me as Once Upon a Dream sure. did, you know? Um
1: It's a odd song and it's an original, so that's Yeah, kinda... exactly.
0: Yeah. Once Upon a Dream has decades and decades of, right. of following behind it, of you know, an iconic status. Yeah, this doesn't. So um but I do remember one of the trailers, and I can actually, uh, I can link the trailer in the show notes if you want to watch it. Um, I remember one of the trailers using a cover of Season of the Witch um, by Donovan, and it was by Audio Machine and Molly. And, you know, like I said, I I, I don't hate the B.B. Rexa song, but this, I think, possibly would have been more effective for me. Um, but I do definitely agree with you about the score, though. Um, even though, like I said, it's kind of a bummer that James Newton Howard isn't credited. Uh, you know, at the same time, it's like, I don't know why James Newton Howard didn't just come back and score the whole thing. Like, I'm not sure what the story is there, but at the same time, it's like, you want, even if it is a different composer, you want it to still feel like the same world. And one of the ways to do that is to incorporate some of the same music. So I'm not upset that there's music borrowed from the first movie, I think that that's great. I think that that was a good idea. But like I said, it's just kind of, uh, it's a bummer that that James Newton Howard wasn't credited for the parts that he did.
1: Isn't it kind of mind-blowing that um, you said Season of the Witch was used in a, in the trailer? Um, Lana Del Rey does Season of the Witch for a, for a horror movie. How weird.
0: Yeah, it is. Because, you know, I remember uh, when that trailer for Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil, came out and... I think it was like right around the same time. It couldn't have been too much farther after. I think that it was right around the same time that it was announced that Lana Del Rey was going to be doing a cover of Season of the Witch. And I was like, how funny is that? Like she did a cover of Once Upon a Dream for Maleficent. Right. Now she's covering Season of the Witch, which somebody else has also covered for Maleficent 2. So lana's covering it but it's not for maleficent like (laughs) yeah maybe
1: we should do some digging and and we'll figure out that that the movie uh the maleficent sequel couldn't get the rights but lana del rey recorded it for the movie and maybe the other other you know i think that's kind of stuff happens yeah absolutely um you know i i did love this movie a lot but one nitpicky thing i have is that i felt like the wedding happened so quick after that battle when there was so much loss and death and it just seems like they could have waited a little bit. But I realize, you know, everyone's already there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But I think it would have meant a little more to have some kind of pause.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Um, you know, even if it said, like, you know, after the battle ended, there was like a title card on the screen that said, like, one week later or something right, like that. Yeah, right.
1: Even a couple hours. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know,
0: maybe. I agree. It doesn't quite seem like an appropriate time. But, you know, I also think it was meant to be symbolic because... Yeah. The marriage represents a harmony, of course, you know, that will hopefully prevent this from ever happening again. (laughs) So, yeah, because it's not just like as Aurora says, it's not just about us two getting married. It's about our two kingdoms being united. Right. So, but I actually, yeah, I have something nitpicky to point out as well. And this actually bothered me the first time I saw the movie. I immediately picked up on this. I was like, this is a plot hole. Like, I love this movie, but this is flat out 100% a plot hole. Why doesn't Philip ever try kissing his father? Like mm. we know from the first movie that it doesn't have to be romantic. Like he suggests that Ingrid kiss him, but he knows that it doesn't have to be a romantic kiss because he knows from the first Maleficent movie that Maleficent awakened Aurora with a motherly kiss, kissing her on the forehead. So why doesn't he try that?
1: <laughs> I wonder if there was a meeting and they had a you know, everyone around our table. Okay. What do we do? Well, a guy, a, a kid wouldn't kiss his father back then.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or maybe not. Or
1: maybe I don't. You know, who knows?
0: But yeah, it just it seems like maybe if Philip had kissed him on the forehead or on the cheek or something right. like that, it could have woken him up. You know, uh, because like I said, we know that it doesn't have to be romantic love; it can be familial love. So, yeah,
1: that, that's true. That's very that's very interesting. If if only they would consult with you before they make these movies.
0: I know, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be giving out my, uh, my contact info in a bit, you know, <laughs> get at me, Disney. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, that's Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Uh, one thing I do want to do, uh, before we give our ratings is, uh, one thing that I did in the Maleficent episode, the Maleficent one episode is I pointed out some of the differences between Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent. And since this is still kind of, sort of an adaptation of Sleeping Beauty, it's kind of sort of an extension like of that world. Uh, I figured that I would um, continue with that and point out some of the differences. So uh, in Sleeping Beauty, Philip's mother is never seen nor mentioned. We only meet Hubert, his father. There's no mention of his mother, uh, which is interesting because if we're meant to see Sleeping Beauty as the lie, essentially that Ingrid spread, then not only did she change her husband's name, but she also (laughs) left herself out of it completely Uh, And then, as I mentioned in the previous episode, and also in this episode, Philip's father's name in Sleeping Beauty is Hubert, not John. And as we already mentioned, Maleficent transforms into a giant phoenix near the end, rather than into a dragon. So not as many this time, because this is mostly an original story, whereas Maleficent is heavily adapted from Sleeping Beauty. So there aren't as many, but the few that I picked up on I wanted to point out. So uh, are you ready for ratings, Rick? I am ready. Okay. So uh, what are your thoughts on this movie? I'll let you go first.
1: Okay. Um, you know, I am a softie, so uh, I am probably not the best reviewer. <laughs> um, but it, the movie made me laugh and it made me feel things. And uh, I, I appreciate when that happens. And um, I thought the cinematography was really good. And of course, like I've mentioned probably too many times, I liked the film score quite a bit. Um So I would give it a a 9 out of 10.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty close to what I would give it. I mean, I kind of tend to rate movies the same way. Like, how much did I enjoy it? Uh, Did I feel things? Did I get emotional at all? Did I get attached to the characters? You know, like, I'm by no means a professional critic. Like, you've got these professional critics giving movies, like, 3 out of 10. And I'm like, I really loved this movie. Where is that coming from, you know? Uh, But they're looking for different things than I am. You know, right? So yeah, I uh, I agree with what you said. It's uh, it, it makes me feel things. It makes me feel emotional. Um, it's a beautiful movie, both thematically and cinematically. Um, Agreed. So my thing is that okay, like I said, I don't think that it's as strong as the first one. Um, for me, like especially as a Sleeping Beauty fan, and I have like very vivid, fond memories of watching Sleeping Beauty as a child. And always being like mesmerized by Maleficent and uh, just thinking that she was like this beautiful, divine creature, you know. And and so like going into the first Maleficent movie, there was that weight attached to it. And so the twist of it being Maleficent who awakened Aurora and not Philip was just like, OMG, OMG, you know, like this is Mm. wow. Like this was such a big moment for me. And this one, I think in large part, because it's original and there isn't really as much of an opportunity for there to be a twist because it's not a retelling, it doesn't have a moment like that. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. But it's still like a really fun story, though. And there's really great dialogue as I've, you know, I've given plenty of examples of that throughout this podcast, uh, this episode. Um, There are some really, really great performances. Angelina Jolie once again brings it. uh, Yeah. Elle Fanning is really great as Aurora. Michelle Pfeiffer is pretty much everything she's in. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's a uh, really, really great performances. And it's also really cool that, you know, even though I'm still kind of confused about a lot of it, like we got to learn a little bit more about Maleficent's origins. Right. Uh, But I do hope that the third movie gives us even more because I still don't really understand the Phoenix connection. Uh, We still don't really know what happened to her parents. Uh, you know, there's still a lot missing. There's a, a hole that I think the third movie could do well by filling. So, yeah, but uh, I give it a solid eight out of 10, you know, and that's still for me, like way above average, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Respectable. Yeah. Really great movie. Um, Yeah. But, you know, like I said, if this were more or less the exact same movie, except it was a complete standalone movie, not a sequel. Uh, I think I probably would have given it like a nine or a 10, but because I can't help but compare it to the first one. And I do enjoy the first one more. That's probably the main reason why it's a point lower. So, and plus, you know, like I said, for me, I think it probably like automatically loses a whole point just for that plot hole. Like (laughs) I really can't stand that. Nobody suggests that Philip kisses him, (laughs) but, uh, anything else that you wanted to, uh, say about this movie, Rick?
1: No, I I think we've covered it a lot of it. (laughs) Some people are going to be like, "What?" They (laughs) dug deep. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I think that we uh we definitely more than covered it. Uh, but I just wanted to give you that that final opportunity to put in some last minute thoughts in. But uh,
1: you know, I did I did think um that this might have been the first movie that had a little bit of um i don't know lgbtq romance because i thought that the mushroom fairy and the pinto the uh porcupine type fairy i thought they were both being portrayed as male gender um but then later in the subtitles when i rewatched i was like oh, okay so pinto is female but i but i kind of carried that with me like that was really sweet i thought that was kind of the first instance of
0: I mean like Disney has like definitely dropped hints at it before uh as far as like you know major I'm not talking about like uh like cuz they have like uh shorts on Disney Plus and stuff like that yeah um but like a major like theatrical full length movie um there have been hints like there's a, a minor character in Brave for example that drops a hint that he might be gay mm-hmm. um there's uh oaken in uh frozen who in the first frozen movie um he says something about his family and then you see like his family in the sauna and its kids and another man yeah so there have been hints but it's never like explicitly it, as far as i know it hasn't explicitly done it yet uh and it seems like we're we're way overdue for that yeah yeah for sure But yeah, yeah, Pinto is is female. But do we know for sure what the other what the gender of the other creature is? So
1: I don't even know if we have. I don't even know if they have a name. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm excited for the third the third movie.
0: Yeah, I am too.
1: I I hope it's a lot of the same people so that it has some continuity. Yes, absolutely.
0: I hope that we don't have any more recastings because the Philip thing doesn't bother me a whole lot, but. Still, you can definitely tell, especially if you watch them back to back. Like, if you watch Maleficent and then immediately after watch Mistress of Evil, you can tell it's not the same person. Yeah. Uh, the first one, the first Philip has much softer, more boyish features, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a slightly different personality, he's not as like wooden and stoic. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell that they're. And, and I asked you earlier which one you preferred, and then I never answered that myself. <laughs> um, it's hard to say. Like you, I I don't know if I have a preference because uh like the second one in this movie gets a little bit more development. He's more important. He's more uh integrated into the plot, right? But the first one was a little bit more animated. Like it had a little bit more personality. You know, it wasn't quite as like stoic and and expressionless, you know? So
1: I'm trying to remember was he more comic in the first movie?
0: not really i just i remember like what sticks out to me the most about him in the first movie is the scene where he is being pressured by the three fairies to kiss aurora because they're trying to get him to break the curse and he's all like you know but i just met her today i barely know her like that doesn't (laughs) seem right you know (laughs) um and just you know he he has a little bit of a, a pep to him that i think that the this one doesn't. And I don't know if it's that he was written that way or if it's just the acting. I don't know. But like I said, if you watch them back to back, you can definitely, it it sticks right out like a sore thumb that it's not the same person. Uh, So hopefully no more recastings. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this, and this might actually be an unpopular opinion because those of us who love these two movies and love Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, we want it to just keep going on and on and on and on. But, i don't necessarily and i say that because i kind of lost interest in the pirates of. i don't think i ever will lose interest in the maleficent movies but pirates of the caribbean like it started to feel very tired by movie four you know like what are we even doing now this is just a cash grab like (laughs) you know like i don't want it to develop into that where it's like okay when is it going to end where's the end game here you know like, I don't want it to just go on and on and on and on and on with no end game in sight because that it's going to get to the point where you can tell that they're not trying to necessarily tell a compelling story. They're just trying to make money. You know what I mean? So,
1: I don't know. A, tr- a trilogy feels right. I-, I think they could wrap it up. I agree. And if they do more, maybe it will be a different, like a spinoff you know, or some, Yeah.
0: Because, like I said, I never expected there to be a sequel. I thought that this was just going to be like a one off thing where, you know, this is the other side of the story. Although, like I said, in my last episode, that's really not what it is. It's a complete reinvention, but, um, I didn't think that a sequel was necessary. I mean, in hindsight, I'm glad we got it because it's a great movie. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's Maleficent mistress of evil. And that pretty much closes the book, at least for now on, uh, this little mini sleeping beauty slash Maleficent saga. Uh, so uh, I would love to hear from you. So if you would uh, like to email me, you can do that at disnishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Podcast, And then you can also follow my personal page on Instagram, which is The Lost Passenger. And uh, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, then please make sure that you are so that you never miss a new episode. And I'm actually not going to give away what I'm doing next time because it's a complete surprise. I don't want to spoil it. It's something different. It's very, very different than what I've been doing up till now. So uh, I'm not ready to reveal that yet. So, uh, But stay tuned because it's, it's definitely something exciting. But until then, this has been Disney reminding you to remember where you came from, remember who you are.